Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Welcome to another Effortless Swimming podcast. Uh, on today's podcast, I've got John and Bevan from IM Talk. And the reason I wanted to get these guys on is because majority of the audience that listens to this podcast are triathletes. And uh, the number of people that I've spoken to who listen to John and Bevan's podcast uh, at imtalk.me is uh, it's astounding. And so I thought, I've got to check these guys out. And uh, I went and listened to some of John and Bevan's podcasts, and they were great. Just uh, two New Zealand guys chatting about Iron Man and um, really just having having a good time talking about um, everything triathlon and Iron Man. So, John and Bevan, welcome to the podcast. Cool. Thanks, hey, mate. Thanks for having us on. My pleasure. The um, today I want to talk about well, it is the Effortless Swimming podcast. So we'll talk primarily about about swimming, which I don't know uh, t- if too many sort of triathletes or Ironman want to talk about swimming because it's kind of like the ugly ducklings. Uh, of the of the three, I think it's um, not as glamorous as the bike ride, and uh, and maybe not as important as as the run. But um, there's yeah a couple of things I want to talk about in terms of training, um, preparation, and racing with with swimming uh, with you guys. But um, first of all, um, maybe if you can just give me a quick uh, rundown of how you guys got started with your your podcast. Far away, baby. Well, yeah, years ago, she's we've been going for seven years, haven't we? Nearly yeah. seven years. Yeah, Jeez, we're getting old, mate. We're getting old. Um, when I used to do it, I don't do Ironman anymore, but for a long time I did Ironman, and, and I always, I was the kind of guy who got bored training. Like John doesn't like to listen to anything, but I like to consume stuff while I'm training. And and uh, I remember when I, I used to listen to radio, but when you got out of town, you'd suddenly lose frequency. And eventually, I found podcasting. This is when podcasting first came on. And uh, and I remember listening to a few podcasts like Twit, which is a technology one, and and they're all very tech based at that time because technology was the only area doing podcasting. And I remember just thinking, well, you know, I could do this. You know, I I knew that technically the behind the scenes stuff we could do, and so I approached John, and uh, who was my coach at the time, and I said, look, you know, there's this thing called podcasting, and maybe we could give it a try. And so we kind of thought, well, we'll do it for a month and see what happens. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of went from there, went from strength to strength. And, uh, yeah, now it's kind of pretty massive. So Yeah, I guess the concern from, from my point of view was, you know, figuring out how we can get content. I thought, you know, podcasting sounds good, but, you know, once we've done 20 shows, what, what are we going to talk about? You can only talk about, uh, you know, how to ride your bike so many times and different sorts of, different sorts of workouts. But as we sort of got into the routine of it, you know, just started adding in different content. And when we're coming out with content for the show, I'm always thinking of the perspective from the, the athlete thinking, right, what do, what do people want to hear about and what are the, the hot topics? And, and it's just sort of grown and grown. Now we sort of pretty easily pump out a, an hour and a half show every week and nah, it's, it's working pretty well. And that was, yeah, as Bevan said, seven years ago. So, and we're quite proud because we've done this for literally nearly seven years yeah. and we've never missed a week. So we've, every week we've put out a show. So it's quite cool. So I think for podcasting, consistency is a real key and we've definitely nailed that. So, yeah, it's been good. Wow, that's, that's awesome. You haven't missed a week. That's no. A, we had a, a guy who I used to train with when I was a teenager and he, not po- really podcasting related, but training-wise we had – uh, an award for whoever had the most swimming sessions in a row, and he attended 366 training sessions in a row. And uh, wow. I think your consistency is, is key in anything you do because uh, that's the year that he actually qualified for national uh, championships. And um, 
uh, yeah, just and that's you know I, I put that a lot down to just not missing a session. So you know, with you guys not missing a, a podcast for seven years, I uh, yeah, that blows my mind. Well, it was really interesting because we had the earthquakes in Christchurch about two or three years ago, and uh, you know it was a pretty horrible time in Christchurch then. And you know, obviously the, the city's crumbling around you. And literally, the first thing John and I did was ring each other and how are we going to get the show out? So you know, it was, you know, priorities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the mind goes straight there. That's um, that's funny. What about when you yeah. first started? Were you were you thinking who who's going to listen to this? Am I just going? Is it just us talking? We'll put it out there on the internet and. Um, you know, we might get um, mum, mum or dad listening, but that's that's about it. Yeah, what what were you um, were you sort of worried about? Would anyone be listening to this or be interested when you first um, started? Well, our first few shows were pretty weak, so we kind of hope nobody does. <laughs> listen to them. And uh, and for, yeah, with, with the we can tell how many people are listening every week, and it's it's a bit of a worry when we still see people that they find the show now. We're up to show three hundred and eighty-seven, I think, yeah. we just recorded, and people still go back and listen to the first ones. And I'm like, oh god, <laughs> god, I hope not. But I think that what what really helped us a lot was. Um, in the early times, just getting a few of the big hitters on. I think Peter Reid and Andy Potts, and we had a few guys like that on, and that made a big difference. And we knew we had a bit of an audience from, you know, both of us had done epic camps, which I help organise, and we knew that there was a really big following of that from people who come on, the, who, who like to watch what people are doing within the camp. So we knew we could build an audience, but we didn't really think it'd get as big as it was. Uh, it was really interesting, you know, because we, we kind of, you know, let's do this thing and we kind of, we did, I don't know, I think maybe we thought it might be a bit of a local thing and I remember like we, within the first week or so of doing the first couple of shows, we got an email from someone in Mexico just saying how they loved the show and I remember just, that was the first time I really understood the power of the internet because up until that moment in my life, I'd only ever taken from the internet and it was the first time I'd put something on the internet and you realise the reach of the internet and, uh, you know, and that suddenly we talked about this very niche product, you know, Ironman Triathlon, and we're getting emails from people all around the world, and it was kind of like, wow, this, you know, we kind of, at that moment, probably realised the potential of what this could be, so yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's one of the best things about the internet is that you can meet so many people from so many different countries. Like I've had emails from people in countries I can hardly pronounce. That, yeah, yeah. That, um, yeah, and they they're asking you questions about you know, training or um, just saying thank you for you know, the latest podcast, whatever it is. But it's just um, it really makes it a small world. When um, well, I think it's really cool about you know for for the everyday consumer nowadays is that. You know, like we do an Ironman specific podcast. That's all we talk about is Ironman triathlon. And, you know, in traditional media models, it's such a niche product. No one would ever produce a program for that. You know, no radio show is going to do an Ironman show because it's just too niche. Whereas nowadays, you know, the world we live in, if you have these niche areas that you just want to learn about, there's lots of good podcasts, there's lots of good YouTube clips. And so you can actually, you know, find a community of people who just love the thing you love. And, you know, we've really just said we are only Ironman. And, you know, we've got a really strong audience of people who just love Ironman. So it's, you know, for us, it's great because we know the people we are talking to and that sense of community that's built around that is pretty powerful. So, yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I when I'm dry, commuting to the the pool, I I just don't listen to the radio because it's so full of crap on there with um, the music and the the interviewers and stuff and that like that. And uh, it's just podcasts or, or audio books really because yeah. uh, you can pick the content that you want to listen to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, it's kind of like uh, you know if you listen to a podcast like yours, it's like 
a couple of friends just chatting and um, it's a lot more engaging than, you know, listening to the news or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and have you, have you found that there's things that you've changed in your training or your racing because of the guests that you've had on the podcast? Absolutely. So, yeah, it, it, for, for me as a, as, as a coach, you know, I'm always looking for areas to, to develop and keep learning. And, um, and so if there's a, a topic I don't know a lot about, then I'll go out and try to find somebody to come on the show and, and talk about those things. So, yeah, quite a few different areas, you know, um, things like for me, uh, I never would consider walking in a running race. Um, and we had Bobby McGee, who I think you may have had on your show. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, talking about run walk, and, and I've tried that successfully, and had other people try that. Doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Um, you know, we've done quite a bit on nutrition stuff, which just every time we do that, opens another can of worms on what's right, what's not right, and there is no real answer. Uh, and then on the training front, you know, we just have lots of different guys coming on, and you know, seventy-five percent uh, you know, of the stuff they might say is things that people have heard before, but you know, we often just get that one or two little ideas. So, yeah, as, as far as a coach development tool for me, it's been fantastic and, and I think that's what a lot of the, the listeners enjoy. You know, we keep the show fun and try to have a good time, but we try to have that you know, educational component in there as well, which um, worked really well. And I also say that's our role, you know, like if anything, you know, like John on our show, my show is, is very much, you know, it's a very entertaining show, but at the same time, is the sport is always evolving. And if anything, we want to be at the forefront of that, getting the greatest thinkers and the greatest, you know, thoughts around our sport, you know, to the to the audience so that we are kind of current. And, you know, a lot of times we do put subjects out there that can be controversial or, you know, that are shifting the way, the consciousness of the sport. But really that's that's our role is to get these people the platform to have these types of discussions and then the listener can make their own kind of judgment based on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with, with some of the guests I've had on the podcast of, especially with diet, I mean, the first nutritionist that I got on was um, a girl named Steph Lowe and she sort of introduced me to gluten-free and, you know, just eating less processed stuff. And uh, I would never have made that change had it not been talking to her. And then just getting other athletes on, the amount of um, stuff that you can learn from training, it's um, it's really, for me, it's, it's sort of personally just a, a tool for me to um, get information for me to help my own swimming and the the swimming of my own a- athletes, and it's um and then you can kind of share that with everyone as well. And it's kind of uh, I think it's good to be controversial and uh, yeah and push that thinking forward. And um, you know people might not agree with uh, some of the stuff that you say or your guests say, but uh, I, that's the only way you can really grow and develop as a sport is to look for other methods of of training and and eating to um to really push it and and do something that's not not normal. I mean, if you look, say, 20 years ago, some of the training for swimming was just ridiculous. It was how much work can we do, how much distance can we do, and then have them come back and do even more distance that day. But now it's a, a lot smarter, Where especially for the 50 and 100-meter races in swimming. It's all about being specific with your training, more high-intensity work, and just being smart so the athlete can recover, come back, mm-hmm. and then and build on it. Mm. And one other area um, that I really enjoy with the show is to to try to give pro athletes a bit more coverage. Um, they, they get really shafted in, in triathlon and in terms of you may hear about the top two or three, but you probably don't know much about the others. So I think we've done a pretty good job in that area as well as giving some of the pros a bit more of a voice, giving them a bit more coverage. And, uh, yeah, it's an area where I think we can uh, 
keep working on and because okay, a lot of the race organizers don't often get it right so yeah it's all good yeah i think that's a good way to do it i mean it's, it's such a it really is like a, a, a such a small sport when you come down to it i mean you listen to your podcast you've had some of the you know pretty much all of the um the top i men on there and um, the same with you know run swim coaches all that sort of thing and um to make them sort of mini celebrities some of the, the triathletes it helps them be able to do it more full time and because it's not um you know these a lot of these guys aren't earning a million bucks a year and um but it's one of the hardest sports to train for in in, in terms of time and trying to manage everything else around it yeah no definitely our, our athletes aren't making aren't making the big bucks unfortunately but you know like you know like we we can be a platform to help them get exposure and you know that's what it's all about really isn't it yeah absolutely right now what um with your own training and uh, and maybe with the training of some of the triathletes that you've spoken to on the on your podcast, what are some of your favourite swimming sets that you like to do? What are some of your go to sets? Well, I think it's quite it's quite a good topic for Bevan and I around the swimming because we both come from quite different backgrounds. So mm. I was a swimmer as a kid. I wasn't anything special. I was sort of regional level at most, at most which in Australia that's probably lucky if you're even club level. Um, so I've been, but I've been swimming since I was 13. I'm 37 now, and I'm swimming freestyle now, slower than what I did backstroke when I was a kid. But I've always swam, so I, I've got that sort of swimming mentality. Whereas Bevan came from a I couldn't even swim. Yeah, couldn't swim. Yeah. So we probably got quite different different slightly different thoughts there but from a personal level you know the 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 sets that i personally enjoy the most are doing some descending sets so you know you've you're you're clock watching and and working on and developing those different gears so you know if you have a set of you know nine by two hundreds descending one to three four to six seven to nine you have the ability to change paces and that's the area where i think a lot of new athletes are unable to, do, to develop is, is having more than two gears um, and I enjoy doing those sets myself. Probably the other area which I, I really quite enjoy is this morning, you know, I went to the pool and did 30 100s on 130 coming in on say 123, 124. A lot of people find those sort of sets pretty boring um, but I just love getting into a routine and just knocking out 100 after 100, not working overly hard but I just find that a really good way to pump out, you know, three or 4K and I guess probably the the one area from a coaching perspective which I think athletes neglect the most from a, from a triathlon standpoint is having the ability to start quickly from very minimal warm up. You know, most people when we go to races in terms of our swim warm up, you know, you might get a hundred meters swim warm up. It might be two hundred. It might be nothing, um, and then you expect to go pretty hard for you know one and a half k or two k or three point eight k's. And so, not practicing that in training is a mistake I see a lot of people making. You know, how many people would go to the pool? do a 100-meter warm-up and then jump in and, and just go straight into a 1,500, pretty pretty solid effort. There's very few people that do that, and I think that's one area where um, the the classic swim coaches maybe miss a beat on, on what triathlon's about. You know, it's about going at a firm pace off the line, not going too bananas, but doing that off a very, very small warm-up. So for me, like I am, um, like I really didn't, like I was the guy who I, well, I wasn't going to die, but I could, you know, swim with my head above the water and kind of didn't ever swim a length of my life. And I think I started Ironman when I was like 25. So I think there's a few tips for if you're someone in my shoes. Is the first is you've got to get to a squad, and I think the squads are so important for your development because you know techniques. You know, I always found swimming such a tough movement because it's so technique based. 
And uh, I was a fit young man. Like, I was already very gym fit before I started doing triathlon. And uh, I remember, like, the first time I went to the pool, I turned up and there was all these guys, tri-swim guys who were, like, 50 and overweight. And, you know, here I was, this young fit man. I thought I'd kick their ass, and they just destroyed me. And uh, and I think by having it going to squad, you've always got that back loop. If, as long as it's got a good coach there, they'll help you make less mistakes in that first period and really set up a good foundation of how you should move through the water. Now, I don't think I ever really nailed my movement through the water. I got down to about 53 for an Ironman, which wasn't too shabby, but um, but really, it was really just about getting that constant feedback from people in the know who can have that third eye for you. I think it's probably the number one tip you can have. And I think for triathletes in particular is you know, the second thing to do is the more open water swimming you can do, the better. Um, I always seem to punch above my weight when it comes to my swims and triathlon. And, and I don't think it was because I pushed it hard. I just think that I learned, you know. We use a lot of punching. Yeah, I did used to beat everyone up too. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, John used to put on epic camps. And on epic camps, we'd end up doing open water swimming every day. And you'd end up doing, you know. 13, 14 open water swims over a very short period of time. And, and in that open water experience, I just learned how to draft really well. And I think that if you have confidence in not being beaten up, you can start with people who are faster than you and then you can draft off them. And so I think, you know, if you are someone who's a little bit newer to it, get to good squads, get good coaches around you and really listen to their feedback. And then if you are heading towards triathlon, you've got to get out and do it and do lots and lots of open water swimming because it's it's a different skill set that can give you a lot of free speed. And if you can do that well, it's going to set you up much better for the rest of the day. So, yeah, that's probably my tips. Yeah, and that, I really like uh, the point about, yeah, learning to swim in open water. I mean, it's you can have, uh, you can have a fantastic pool swimmer and you can put them in open water and they might be, you know, one of the fastest pool swimmers. Like, for example, down here in Melbourne, we've got the Peter Pub, which is pretty much—it's pretty much the biggest open water race um, that we have here in Victoria, and and also in Australia, it's one of the biggest ones in, here in Australia. And you'll get guys who are amazing pool swimmers. Put them in the open water, and uh, they don't have that same uh, gap yeah. in, in how fast they are in the water because uh, the other guys know how to draft, how to deal with. You know, choppy water and it really is a different skill so and in terms of drafting i mean you can punch well above your weight if you learn how to draft and find that person who's slightly faster than you sit on their feet and just hang on i mean that's my favorite strategy for when i'm racing open water is just find that person who's faster who i you wouldn't be able to keep up with otherwise uh, and just get on their feet from the start it's um yeah really important and then in terms of uh, a short warm-up uh, yeah, you're exactly right. You, you just don't get much time before a triathlon, and generally the water's pretty cold, especially around here, uh, and probably for you guys too, where you are. Yours is tropical, you know, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, come welcome to our world. So, yeah, at the weekend, we, I did a race, and, and yeah, I think I, I would have got a 100 meter warm up and maybe three sort of 15 meter sprints, and that, that was it. Um, so, I'd done a bit of dry land stuff before that, but, you know, I need to be ready to go pretty quick and uh, in a lot of races you get absolutely zero you're not allowed in the water so coming out with a strategy on how you can be warmed up in terms of your, your dry land exercises um, you need to practice that and then you need to practice just getting straight in the water and going for it or whatever strategy you're going to use so for you know again this is a bit of a contrast for the swimmer you know people like an ex-swimmer like me you know you can you can get away with getting out quickly and recovering whereas if you're a newbie then you've got to just figure out what strategy you're going to use. Are you going to be disciplined and just go out at a steady pace from the get-go and compromise getting a good draft? Um, 
so you're going to lose a little bit of time there, but you're going to put your body under a lot less stress by going out hard and potentially blowing up. So, so non-swimmers often don't have that ability to, to get out quick and then actually recover. They have to just take it steady. So just working out what strategy you're going to have and, and have confidence in it. I think one other thing, probably just to go back to tips for, um, you know, especially people like myself who come from non-swimming, is that of all the movements, I always found swimming the most boring. Um, and, you know, like I think if you haven't been brought up as a swim kid, you know, I think swim kids just learn that kind of follow the lane kind of psychology around swimming. And I think that's another reason squads can be really important because they just make it a bit more fun and interesting. Um, you know, like just doing links after links in the pool can be a really tedious thing. And if you haven't really developed that psychology within yourself, it can just, you know, it can put you off training. It means you either don't do it well or you don't do it at all. And that's where squads, you know, if you can get a good squad where you get kind of friendly with the guys and girls you train with, you know, you develop friendships and you develop kind of little rivalries and it just all helps to make you actually get to your training and do your quality sessions because it's such a big – because swimming can be bloody boring. Yeah. Oh, uh, lovely sport. Bevan, it's not boring. We oh, love, come on. <laughs> How many laps have I done? 5,021. That's where you've got to learn the skills of using the clock, using your watch, using those sort of things to, to keep the sessions interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that if, you do, if you're not training with a squad, if you've, if you've got to resort to training by yourself – the the pace clock's probably your best friend because it's that's the one thing that can keep you in, really engaged in the set as well as thinking about your technique and and working on your stroke but yeah really just picking a set and uh, picking the time frame and then just working on hitting a certain time for each each um, one or you or descending you know whatever kind of set you, that you're doing but yeah if you are training by yourself it's and you're just going there and you say I'm just going to swim two k straight. That is when swimming gets boring. But if you can break it down into a bit of a warm-up, a bit of a main set, um, and have a goal for that main set, whether it's hitting times or um, you know you want to work the first fifty hard, whatever it is, that's um, that's the I find the best way to um, keep those solo sessions you know, engaging. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely an art form, but isn't it? You know, like it's it's something that you need to learn to develop because you know, like as a because I work in fitness, and I always say to people, everyone always wants the answer for the best exercise for results, and and the real answer is the one you enjoy. You know, if you enjoy a certain type of movement, there's a higher chance you're going to get out there and do it. And uh, for a lot of people, you know, they don't have that love with swimming at first, and so the, one of the first things you should be aiming for is where do I find the enjoyment for swimming? And you know, some people will find that pretty quickly, but the faster you can find that, the easier it is going to be for you to get along and train. So it's a good thing to think about. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if you've got, and what I see with a lot of triathlon clubs around Melbourne is that it's just a it's a big um, group of friends training together, and you know, the main reason that that people go is to see their friends and catch up yeah, and socialize yep. and have a chat and um you know and if that's what gets you to training then great you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be you just wanting to go there and work your ass off um yeah just go there and, and have fun i mean when i was training as a uh, as a kid swimming I, when i was sort of 13 14 i used to go there for the girls i used to want to go and um <laughs> you know um it was hey, just, no one would deny it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I think that's what probably gets a lot of um, teenagers through through swimming these days is um you know that that kind of thing. So it's um yeah it is it is great to train with the squad and and you always work so much harder usually when uh, you train with the squad. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, what what do you think it is that draws people to Ironman? Why do you think people commit you know, commit to doing that Ironman and then putting in the the insane amount of hours and training that it takes to compete in Ironman. What is what is it that that people are attracted to? 
everybody seems to want more, you know. They do a sprint distance and then they think, oh, I want to do an Olympic distance. They do an Olympic distance, want to do a uh, half Ironman. So I think they think it's, uh, you know, going longer is harder. And I've always had the attitude that it, I actually think it's harder to get faster than go longer. You know, in terms of doing an Ironman, you just, to a degree, you've just got to get out there and, and do the work, do the volume, and you'll, you'll be able to get through it. Getting through it fast is, is another another story, um, but I think it's a, for a lot of people it's a bit of a progression. And um, these days, people just want a bit of a, a freaky challenge. And it's not these days; it's not so out there that it's unrealistic. You know, there's enough people out there. Most people would probably know someone who's done an Ironman, and so it's not quite so out there. Whereas in maybe the the 80s and 90s, you know, you were a Fruit, uh, you know, a complete nutcase if you did an Ironman, whereas these days, pretty acceptable. You know, marathon, you know, gazillion people do marathons. It's just, it's not, not so out there these days. But I think the, the real challenge, as you pointed out, it's, it's the race itself is, is difficult and challenging, but the, the thing that's a hell of a lot more challenging is, is figuring out how the hell you can fit it all into your life. I think the other thing is as well is that there is that there is that question of self, you know, the doubt of self that you have to confront with Ironman. And I do think that for a lot of people, they want to explore that within themselves. There's that kind of deeper level of, you know, who am I? Can I confront this kind of, you know, big life challenge? And, you know, all the good stuff that comes along with the sport is, is pretty powerful stuff. And, you know, you see the transformation of the self through the Ironman experience. And it's definitely, you know, they seem, you know, WTC, the, the people who organize Ironman, really seem to understand it. If you watch their coverage, it's all about everyday, over people, everyday people overcoming massive adversity. And I think that Ironman really, you know, it really offers that in a, a pretty good package. And so um, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people out there, it's that whole, am I a strong enough person to overcome, overcome this? Yeah. And then it becomes a community. And so it's your, it's your, it's yeah. your mates. It's your, it's your religion. It's what you, what you go and do. You hang out with your friends, you go training and go to events and it's a, a cool way to see the world if you go off to different races and it's, you know, well, I think cool. the, the thing I often would talk about is that, you know, like if you think about, if you think about most people in everyday life, for them to do a six-hour bike ride would be the biggest thing ever they would ever do in their life. It would be their biggest achievement. Or if they were to do a three-hour run, it would be, you know, the pinnacle of their life. And whereas when you do Ironman, you do that, like, you know, every week almost, like a long bike ride and a long run. And so you develop this level of esteem that is just – it's pretty empowering, you know, to overcome the level of adversity each week of your life. So there's an esteem that comes alongside it that's pretty attractive, and I think that really keeps people in the sport. Yeah, it really changed the perspective of what's what can be done. I mean, I yeah. um, myself and a friend when we were at university, uh, he said that his his dad when he was at uni he rode from Melbourne to to Sydney, um, just nice. with another friend. And I thought, holy shit, that's uh, I don't think I could do it, but let's give it a crack. So we just bought bikes, put the panniers on it, and um, and set off during our holiday, and um, you know, and made it up there in ten days or so. I think it was. And um, nice. that just completely changed my idea of what what you can do, what's sort of possible, at least at least for me. And then you know, if you're doing massive rides like um, that, you're doing you know one hundred and fifty k um, in a day with Ironman, and it's a regular thing. I mean, that's just it does change your life. It's it can, if you're sitting not used to sitting on the couch watching movies and um, just relaxing on your weekend, and now you're going out running for you know, 10, 20, 30K for the weekend, cycling a couple of hundred K. I mean, it's, it's, it is a life-changing uh, sport. Yeah, for sure, definitely. And you see it a lot in, in, in the people who do the sport. 
Yeah, absolutely, and it's and that's why I think people get so uh, get so engrossed in it, and it it not that it doesn't take over their life, but it becomes a huge part of it. Is it, it sort of has to if you if you get into that level in training for an Ironman. Um, it, w- how do you see it in terms of balancing? Uh, say for those guys who've got families uh, and they start training for an Ironman, because I mean the biggest um, one of the biggest things I hear from the athletes that I coach that are doing Ironman is that. Uh, it does take a toll on their sort of family life. They don't get to spend as much time with their wife and kids and um, they kind of have to juggle that around. And then once they've done the Ironman, sometimes I want to go and do another one. Uh, and, you know, the wife's saying, well, I think you should stay, stay back and, you know, spend more time with us. How do, you, how do you see some people managing that and, you know? Well, let's be honest, a lot don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So a lot don't. And that's from, from a coaching perspective, that's a big part of, um, of me sort of setting up plans with people is to make sure you, you schedule downtime post races, make sure you schedule, um, you know, if, if, I've got, if I've got people with a flexible schedule, you know, I'll try to make Sunday their day off and have that as a family day if, if that could be, can be possible um, and try to push training more during the week. So, you know, you just got to, I just keep telling people to keep it all in perspective and um, family should always come first and then you just got to choose where the work or training comes comes second, but it's 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 not easy. For me on a personal level, I've got a, a, a four and a six-year-old um, and my solution is, I mean, I've got a, a flexible schedule, but, you know, at weekends I go tra- out training very early in the morning. So I'll go, you know, if I'm going for a five-hour bike ride now, um, I'll go out and I'll be hitting the road at 5.30, so I'm done by 10.30. Uh, and so you've got the rest of your Sunday clear. So that's that's sort of my solution and that's what a lot of other people do is trying to get it done and dust in the morning and uh, and so you're at home in the evenings and can hang out with the kids and stuff. There's no easy answer. If you want to get better at triathlon, you've got to put in, got to put in the work and you've got to put in some pretty big hours, but you've just got to have a bit of a structure around your season, communicate it with your with your wife and, and get, the, get the all clear and say, this is what I want to do. And if she says, no, bugger off, um, <laughs> then you've got to modify it and – yeah, there's no easy answer. You know, you've got to get out there and do six-hour bike rides. I think I think it's really important that you're conscious of the cost of the sport because it is. Um, you know, we used to do epic camps, didn't we? And like nearly ninety percent of the guys on epic camps were divorced, weren't oh, they? Yeah. Like it was. You know, yeah. these guys were, and these are guys who were pretty top end athletes. But you know, there's. I think if you go into it blind of the effects of the sport on our areas of your life, it's going to end up hurting it no matter what. Whereas if you can be like John, you know, as an example of someone who does it really well, and uh, and like I know I, I've gave up Ironman about three years ago, but at that time I was going into a new relationship, and one of the reasons was because I knew I couldn't really give the relationship what I needed if I was going to keep up with the sport. And I think if you can be aware of the cost of the sport then you can look at you know ways you can give back to your relationship or times a year where you can take some time off and you know you're having a bit of a strategy around how can i be successful in both areas of my life because they both are important because you know like it is it's a very selfish sport and if you are it's going to take away from all the other relationships in your life eventually they're going to hurt and ultimately i think that ends up hurting you a lot because while the sport gives you a lot if you wake up one day you've lost your family and you've lost you know all the people in your life who are important to you i doubt you're going to be that happy so even if you are really fast racing so it's just something you need to be really consciously aware of as you progress through your career. Yeah, yeah, that, I completely agree. It's um, it, it's something that you you do need to to manage. And if you're um, yeah, if you re, if you're 
relationships uh, are suffering, particularly with your family and uh, your closest friends and stuff, it's um, you got to think really, is it worth it? Because once you, you know, once you finish triathlon, you need to have that support group there. And um, you know, if, yeah, they're, if so they're not there, you, you kind of um, feel like uh, it might feel a bit empty. So uh, yeah, if you can manage the two, um, like it sounds like you're able to do pretty well. Um, it's yeah, it can make it so much easier. I think um, one thing I do like about um, training really hard for a certain event uh, is having that downtime afterwards where uh, you completely stop the training or you just bring it back to 20% of what you're doing and just having that rest um, because then I think that's uh, having that balance of working really hard and then just taking it easy. You might put on a bit of weight um, and then you've got to work to get it off again but having that sort of up and down of, of training um, and having the different events to sort of train for, um, that is what sort of keeps you sane as well because if you just go, go, go the whole time, you'll burn out and, you know, you won't be enjoying the sport. Yeah, for sure. And, and you've got to take the example of a lot of the pros. You know, that's what they do. We, you know, Cameron Brown, a great Kiwi Ironman athlete, you know, he'd often take almost a month off yeah, training. do nothing. Um, I mean, it's probably not doing no exercise at all but you know nothing particularly structured so yeah having having your off season is important and if you live in a good climate you know like a lot of where you are in australia you know you you can train year round so the temptation is to is to train year round so again it's just about planning your season if you're in a relationship or got family planning your downtime around around that trying to plan holidays when it's sort of maybe a little bit straight after your races just trying to get that sort of blend of uh Training and recovery, right? And also, you know, um, a lot of people train seven days a week, and just making sure that you have a bit of a plan around having some easier walks, not just for your for your training, but also you know, trying to fit in some some social sort of stuff. And there, maybe every three or four weeks, you take a weekend off and and actually uh, go and do some non triathlon stuff. Yeah, well, uh, <coughs> I'll, uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up here because I know you guys have have got to go. But I want to thank you again for jumping on the Effortless Swimming podcast. And, uh, no worries, mate. Thanks for having us. Where can, uh, where can listeners find your podcast and a bit more about you guys and, and what you guys offer? So we've got about a gazillion websites. We've got <laughs> imtalk.me, um, which is our, our weekly podcast, um, I Talk. And then we've got our, well, the other one that we do that we're really stoked with is called Legends of Triathlon, um, legendsoftriathlon.com. That's a monthly podcast just with some of the, the big hitters that a lot of people may or may not have heard much about. And if people want to follow me, they can go to coachjohnproject2014.com, which has got all my every single training session that I do um, leading up to Kona next year. And uh, they can sort of see what it's like trying to get a little bit of balance in there with um, family, job, and trying to fit in training as well. And, uh, and I've got a, I've got a, I do a lot of fitness writing because I work in the fitness industry. So check out my website. It's bevanjamesiles.com. Awesome, and I'll, I'll put those links in the, the bottom of the show notes so uh, everyone can find them easily there. So, guys, thanks again. Great chatting with you, and uh, best of luck with your training and with the podcast as well. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com. 